In Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus is establishing a group with authority and ability to carry out a task. And in the process of doing that, they will be acting as His agent. They will be working in cooperation with Him and using His resources. This is the Church of Jesus Christ. Hello, this is Nita Erleen, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries Podcast. We have spent eight sessions on a journey learning about what Tori calls the Commissional Church. What is the Church? What is the purpose and function of the Church? How does the Church operate, and what habitat is necessary for it to grow? Today, Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, wraps up Commissional Church by giving a review and then starting a little brainstorming into practical action points that might help the church grow in love and unity, fostering the type of community necessary to achieve intentional obedience to the teachings of Christ. And this obedience is the desired outcome for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Here is Tori speaking at Caravan Fellowship in Part 9 of Commissional Church. Today, we're going to be doing a little bit of review. We've transitioned now, really, and I guess I kind of want to connect some dots. And, you know, when you're in, like, say, in the Mall of America, and you look at the the little map with the floor plan, and they say, you are here. Well, if you're on a journey, you want to know you were here, and you are here. And so I kind of want to do a little bit of that today. And I want to introduce a topic because if you remember, the thesis that I had was had three main points, and we've reached the third point of that thesis. Uh, let's start out by reading Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That's where we started. This is often referred to as what? The Great Commission. Okay. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Now in in Christian circles, when you read this verse, and I know this happened the first time I had us read this at the beginning of this series, people are expecting a sermon on going. We emphasize the going. Have we talked about going in this series? Not really, except as you go. That's what we've we've talked about, has been in the context of as you go, wherever you go. But the main point of the start was that the Great Commission is a succinct statement about the purpose and the function of the church. Now, because of our orientation of this verse, we tend to think, oh, so you're saying that the mission and the purpose of the church is foreign missions. But this admonition or commandment is not about foreign missions. It's about the church. And hopefully you have a little different perspective on that now, having come as far as we have. But I want to just go through uh, just a few of the main points by way of asking questions and see if anybody has, has any remembrance of these things. So, for example, what is the church? So the church, let's... It narrow it down to the church of Jesus Christ. Because remember, church, the Greek word for that, ekklesia, is not a religious word. So we think of the word as being something, having something to do with religion, but it has nothing to do with religion. And the early Christians 
adopted or Jesus introduced that term as a way of thinking about a group of people. And the specific group of people are followers of Jesus. So the church of Jesus, let me give you my definition. The community of disciples or followers or apprentices of Jesus Christ who gather together in his presence. That's my definition for the church, the church of Jesus Christ. So the distinguishing factor between any other gathering of people, any ecclesia, remember we saw the ecclesia was a mob in Ephesus, any other gathering of people, and the ecclesia of Jesus Christ is the presence of Jesus Christ. Did I talk about Exodus chapter 33 when God spoke to Moses and he said, okay, I'm really frustrated with these people, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to send an angel with you. You remember this? Yeah, I'm going to send an angel with you, but I'm not going to go with you because if these guys make me any more angry than I am, I'm liable to wipe them out. Do you remember that? It's Exodus 33. Maybe we better turn there real quick. Somebody find that and find a good starting spot when God said, I'm going to do this lest I destroy the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the Tent of Meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Okay, so here's now Moses' response, and here's the part I want you to pay attention to. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then read verse 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people, unless you go up with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So, what was the distinguishing factor that Moses considered between them and anybody else? 
the presence of God. And, and this is the distinguishing factor of the church of Jesus Christ, of this ecclesia. I don't mean this building here, but those followers of Jesus that gather in his presence as compared to any other group of people. The distinguishing factor is the presence of Christ. Okay, what's the purpose of the church? The church is intended to provide an ecosystem, or uh, I've given a little more thought to it and a little more study on this and thinking, you know, maybe habitat is a better word that I'm looking for, but providing the resources necessary for the life of God to thrive in the people of God. And so this is the purpose for the church. The function of the church is to provide or operate as the demonstrable expression of the life of Jesus Christ on this earth. So the church is referred to as the body of Christ. When Jesus was here in a physical body, his life was demonstrated through the body as he walked physically on this earth. Now the Christ as the church is intended to do the same thing. So the church, and by the way, what did, what did he demonstrate? He demonstrated loving relationships and a harmonious relationship with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit. So the church is to function in loving, harmonious relationship, joining the Trinitarian and familial or family relationship of God, sharing in the divine nature. So these are things that we talked about. We talked about Jesus building the church. He's doing this by using us as his agents. We are operating in the power of his presence in a community of believers who through corporate interaction, corporate interaction means interacting together, right? As a unit, if you will, interacting together through corporate interaction and experience. Again, corporate experience is, is shared experience. Okay, so... Through corporate interaction and experience, we accomplish the building up of the body of Christ, the church. We are acting together with him in his power, with his authority, on his behalf to build the church. So what does building the church mean? What, is, what does that mean? Or building up the church. So oftentimes when people think of building something or growing something or building up something, they think in terms of size. But... You know, you all know that I like hockey, and one of the things is they take these 18-year-old kids, basically, who are fully grown, and they put them in the minor leagues, and when you hear coaches talk about it, they talk about helping them learn to use their man body. <laughs> and Nathan knew, know, knew something about that. For some of us that quit growing when they were 14, it's not the same thing, but when you grow in your latter teens and you grow a lot and you become a lot stronger, that doesn't mean you're quite as functionally useful with all of the facilities you've gained. And you have to kind of get some experience becoming functionally mature. So you get physically mature, but you need to be functionally mature. And that's really what the building up of the church is, is functional maturity. So what are the defining characteristics of the followers of Jesus Christ? Okay, the defining characteristic of the followers of Jesus Christ is to be unity and love. This is the result of the glory and presence of Christ in the church. 
Unity requires mutual trust. So what are the ingredients of trust? So this is a, it's actually, I came up with threefold. Confidence in a person's intent toward you, the continuity of that intent, nor their integrity. In other words, will they continue to have that intention or are they wishy-washy? And, and then also their ability to carry it out. And this is why we can trust God. We can trust his intention towards us and we can trust his ability to carry out that intention and we can trust that his intention has not wavered. Okay, it's also... If you can't trust somebody, what's the, the other option you have for maintaining a relationship with that person? Sacrifice. And this is why God provided sacrifice to maintain a relationship or to bring about a relationship with us because he had to pay the price or the cost, had to be willing to pay the cost for our break in trustworthiness with him. Okay? So, that brings us to where we are today. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7 and read 24 and 25. Um, we sing a song occasionally about this. You remember the song? The wise man built his house upon the rock. I'll read 24 and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Now, my thesis that I had put down, so the third main point of my thesis was, intentional obedience to the teachings of Christ is the desired outcome for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So if the Great Commission is a succinct statement about the mission and purpose of the church, then carrying out that mission and purpose and functioning as the church should produce intentional obedience to the teachings of Jesus. That's what I mean by this statement. Intentional obedience to the teachings of Christ is the desired outcome for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And this is what Jesus is saying at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You might have forgotten that this is the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he, and he finishes it up by saying that if you hear these words, hear what I'm saying to you, and you act on them in the appropriate manner that's called for by the words, then you will have a, a life that is not easily destroyed by whatever winds and waves and floods represent. And as usual, he's speaking somewhat in parable, but he's speaking a truth and using the parable of a house being built on a rock compared to a house being built on sand. So the teachings that we should focus on primarily should be I want to use the phrase again, functional maturity. We should be focusing on teaching functional maturity, how to function in the kingdom of God. Because that's what, remember, what Jesus was proclaiming was the kingdom of God. That was the gospel that Jesus preached, was the gospel of the kingdom of God. And if you look up the phrase kingdom of God, by the way, 
or kingdom. Just look up kingdom in the New Testament sometime and see how many times even Paul, for example, refers to teaching on the kingdom. Or if you take Acts, they taught about the kingdom of God. Over and over and over again, you see that. I hadn't noticed that, and it wasn't taught to me that way in, in Sunday school. But our primary focus of our teaching should be functional maturity. In other words, hearing the teachings of Jesus and acting on them in an appropriate manner. So that's what functional maturity looks like. So let's, let's just take a quick inventory of some of the things that Jesus taught. Just think Matthew 5 through 7. Think the Sermon on the Mount for a minute. What are some of the things you can come up with? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Don't worry about food and clothing. Was he serious about that? I mean, you know, these weren't just words, were they? But this, this is difficult. It's actually difficult stuff. What else? Turn the other cheek. Remember that one? You know, how do you get good at doing something? Practice. So functional maturity looks like being the type of person that actually can carry these things out. Now, how do you practice turning the other cheek or blessing those who curse you or praying for those who persecute you? You know, do you go around looking for persecution or you, you probably don't try to do the specific thing there. You try to do the things that will help you become the type of person that will be ready to act in that way when the occasion arises. And this is, I mentioned this earlier, I think, another time, that I, I don't know if this actually uh, happened or not, but uh, on the movie Miracle, uh, Miracle, which was about the 1980 Olympics, U.S. Olympics team, you might remember that, um, and Herb Brooks was the coach. And in the movie, he's attributed with a statement saying that he is not looking for men who are willing to do what it takes to win. <coughs> so everybody says they're, I'm willing to do what it takes to win. And what are they thinking? They're, they're, they're willing to sacrifice their body on the ice, or they're willing to do whatever in this game. He said, I'm not looking for men who are willing to do what it takes to win. I'm looking for men who are willing to be prepared to do what it takes to win. They, the what it takes to win is the preparation leading up to the game as well as what happens in the game. And so becoming functionally mature, becoming the type of person for whom the teachings of Christ is our natural reaction, requires preparation before the time of persecution or before the time of being slapped on the cheek. I heard the little story about the little boy that was brought to uh, school, the first grader that was brought to school and told his teacher, wow, you know, it's really amazing. We saw six idiots on the, on the road today coming to school. Yesterday, mom brought me to school. We didn't see any. Dad wasn't very well prepared to deal with, quote, idiots on the road. What did Jesus teach about calling somebody an idiot? He said, you've heard that it's said you shouldn't kill. But then he goes and compares contempt to murder. 
how does it compare to murder? Well, we don't need to go into all of that. But the point is that there, there are things upstream that if not dealt with, lead to the attitude, the same heart that causes murder and will lead to murder. So functional maturity looks like following the teachings of Jesus. So I believe that Jesus has provided a description of what life in the kingdom looks like. This kind of person results from the life of God fully functioning in maturity in the person through faith. So the description that Jesus used of really the righteousness that goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You remember he said that? He said if your righteousness does not exceed that, it's, it's a going beyond and, and what was the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? It was, thou shalt not kill. What goes beyond that? It means dealing with the attitudes that lead to murder. Dealing with the attitudes that lead to adultery. Dealing with the issues of the heart rather than the outward behavior. This kind of person results from the life of God fully functioning in maturity in the person through faith. That can only happen when the person is fully immersed in the Trinitarian community. Now, again, the purpose of the church is to provide that ecosystem, to provide that habitat of what? Of loving community, of sharing in the Trinitarian community, sharing in the nature of God. And so that's what you see Jesus teaching when he said baptizing them... In we think of baptism of getting people wet. The word is immerse. Immersing them in what? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Immersing them in the presence, in the authority, in the operation of the entire Trinitarian community. And by entering ourselves into this community, what we begin to experience is functional maturity, and that looks like the description that Jesus gave of the person operating in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we don't have to worry about what we eat, what we wear, where we live. Why? Because what God wants done is done in the kingdom of God. This is where God rules, where he's ruling and reigning. A community that sustains the life and provides the necessary resources for that life to flourish. Life is what? Life is using external resources, right? Being able to use external resources for the fulfillment of that life. The fully functioning church is that habitat that provides those resources through the presence of Christ. So when we operate in the authority of Christ, bringing people into the Trinitarian community, we can begin to teach them how to become the type of person for which the teachings of Christ are the natural mode of operation. Now, the way that we do that, the way, reason that this kind of community provides for that is when there is unfaithfulness or when there is a breach of trust, there is grace in the form of a willingness to forbear, right? So guess what? When you are in that kind of community, you actually have the opportunity to work on the heart issues by being open, by being honest, by being true about who you are, 
And by being able to ask people to say, you know, I really have a problem with idiots on the road. In other words, I really have a problem with contempt and anger. You seem to be a person who's pretty level-headed, and, and you don't seem to have that problem. Did you ever experience that? And if so, what, did, what kinds of things helped you? You see, without being in the safety of the community that is primarily characterized by love and unity, it isn't safe to admit that, hey, I'm really struggling with this area. If you're in a community where the primary focus is on the proper outward behavior, or the primary focus is on the words that you say, you know, and the I've been around the Word of Faith group uh, um, teaching and stuff like that. And if you say, I'm really struggling, <gasps> don't say it, that makes it true. Well, it's already true. I'm really struggling. This kind of environment, an environment of love and unity that's characterized by love and unity that is made up of people who are wanting to become apprentices of Jesus allows us to talk about the issues that we have that are standing in the way or hurdles for us to be a person. It allows us to talk about those kinds of things. Now, what I want to do in the remaining few minutes here is I want to have us brainstorm just a little bit. And, and I have kind of two tracks here. One is what kinds of things can we do that will foster community? And the other is I have sort of a list of the things that I wanted to talk about where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And this is the transition. The transition was intentional obedience to the teachings of Christ is the desired outcome for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so the transition is, what kinds of things can we be doing in real practical ways to bring that about? Intentional obedience to the teachings of Christ. So, the way that I thought about asking that question, what kinds of things can we be doing, is to say, if it's true that community, that the, the right kind of community, the Trinitarian community, is what provides the environment for functional maturity to occur, then what kinds of things can we do to foster that kind of community? So that's one track. The other track is, what kinds of things can we be teaching that will help us in that community to become functionally mature? Two tracks. What kinds of things can we do to foster community? What kinds of things should we teach to help people in that community become functionally mature. Now, I'll tell you, here's what my outline was, and it's just not as cohesive as I wanted it to be, and so that's why I wanted to bring this up for other people to give input. So, here's the topics that I had. Dealing with desire, how to overcome temptation that encumbers and sin that entangles. The role of faith, what is faith? How does it work? Can we really move mountains? The gifts of the Spirit, what are they? Why do we need them? Do they come upon us or do we seek them? Do they take practice? The role of the Spirit, keeping in step with or walking in the Spirit in private life, in corporate life. So these are the areas of teaching 
The other thing I wanted to talk about that I had on my list at the end then was conducting the meeting, the purpose for what we do. Music, meal, teaching, Bible memorization, breaks. What else should we do? And then fostering community, becoming a community of prayerful love. What kinds of things can we do to foster community? And so you can see I decided those are two different areas. And what I wanted to ask is, and I know I went through that list really fast, but is there anything I didn't say that you think should be on that from a teacher? And the other is, what kinds of things can we do to foster community? Okay, so the floor is open for those two questions. The comment was made regarding the teaching part. Having us understand who God is and what he is like is a key thing. What else? The comment was made regarding fostering community, that it is important to take time to work together serving one another. The togetherness builds community, and the service builds love. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. Nathan and I talked a little bit about that one time, that that was something that would be beneficial. You know, we, we, have, a, we have a format of meeting once a week, and there's a, and there's a method for that madness. And the, the main idea is, in some churches, you know, they have meetings several nights out of the week, you know, and you're t together twice on Sunday and Wednesday night and maybe some other night as well. And, and for young families and stuff, I mean, it's just a chore to get the whole family together and get out the door and all of that. And you just kind of burn out trying to make it to meetings. And so the idea was, you know, all of these things are good things. Let's just try to do them all at one time. So, you know, you only have to get dressed up and, you know, revved up for it once a week. Well, the thing is about community is it does take time. And I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, I'll bet that these, all these meetings started out with people actually wanting to do it and, and trying to come up with ways to, you know, do the things they wanted to do together. But they weren't, they didn't have, they, they weren't spread out. You know, they had a little church and every corner and people just walked there and it, it wasn't a, you know, probably a big of an ordeal as it is today to drive 15 miles and, you know, get everybody. And plus there's all the expectations of getting dressed up and whatever else, you know, that goes on. And, and um, anything that we put down is going gonna, is gonna to be a time issue, isn't it? And so one of the things that I would like to challenge us to do is to try to figure out how to fashion our life so that it's not a burdensome thing for us to be part of each other's lives in some way. You know what I mean? It, 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 isn't, it isn't burdensome when, you're, when, it, when you're, you're fashioned around it. It's the, you know, stop what you're doing, load everybody in the van and go to some place that becomes the burdensome thing. And so I, what, I don't, what I think happened, this is my, just my own suspicion, is that there was sort of this pattern of life that people had that centered around as a community of the church, and they did these things. But then as we became less centralized, um, people thought, that they had to keep doing these things, sort of like cutting the end off the roast that, you know, great-grandma used to do. And um, we've forgotten why, and so our church model is meetings after meeting after meeting, when it used to be, you know, a natural part of the community to be together in these kinds of ways, and maybe in people's homes and things like that. So anyway, 
I think if there's ways that we can try to say, well, how can we rearrange our lives in ways that seem like it would be a natural thing for us to be in community together without starting a commune? The comment was made that in order to help those in need, we need to be aware of the needs. And there needs to be an environment in the community where it is okay to be the one to express the need. Yeah. You know, I just came up with another topic for discussion, and that's judgment. Because that whole thing that Jesus taught about, judge not lest you be judged, that's a difficult thing to actually figure out how to do because we're also, there's several things that are involved in our lives, several ways in which we should be judging. And so how to understand. But anyway, the point I was starting to make was that sometimes we find ourselves trying to be, trying to correct people rather than help people in their time of need. And so if I make a, some stupid mistakes and I know that it was because of those things, that doesn't help me for you to point it out to me if I still am in need, you know. And so sometimes that shame aspect makes it difficult for us to share what our needs are because we're afraid we're going to just get lectured on why we shouldn't be in the position that we're in. But being a caring person, sometimes it's we're, we're struggle with trying to determine whether it actually will help them to help them in the way they're asking or whether there's some other way to be more helpful. You know, those things are difficult. But I think it's really important that we be, in a way, accepting people's mistakes. That's the forbearing. That's the sacrifice that we make to have that kind of relationship and that kind of community. But also having confidence in their decision, their intention to be a follower of Jesus. You see what I mean? That's that's really, if we can focus on that rather than on why did you make these, why did you do these dumb things, but just, you know, continually bringing people back to why they should be a follower of Jesus, it becomes less about the specifics and more about the intent. All right, let me pray. Um, God, I'm excited about what you are doing in our group. And I pray that Jesus will receive what he prayed for, that we would be one as you and he are one, that we would be in him as he is in you, and that we would really become a community that represents the kind of love and unity that is characteristic of the Trinity. Help us, God. We know we won't do it perfectly as you have, but we have a desire to be like that and to become more and more like that. And I just pray that you would continue to work in us so that each of us individually as well as uh, corporately, that we would begin to have functional, more and more functional maturity. And give us direction now as we think about what we can be doing together practically, what we can be studying together to become the type of people who display the functional maturity of operating in your kingdom. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries, or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.